when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and it in, and in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, and he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was crucified. He, was, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Gap. Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had risen to them and said nothing to anyone, They were, for they were afraid. Yes. Awesome. Way to go, you guys. Thank you. Nice job, Kellers. Hey, welcome everybody. How are we doing so far? Good. It's, it's a festive day. It's a high holy day for, for us Christian folk where we celebrate the resurrection. But if I may, before we get into um, all that we're going after in this here story and before I figure out exactly how to place my feet in this here position without it just being an awkward like this, you know, um, let's remind ourselves just where we are. Check your phone. Tell me if I'm wrong. But, but today is Sunday, which means that well, Friday has passed. Friday is over. The, the word of God was cracked open by the weapons of man. This young Jewish boy from the sticks, this young Jewish marginalized child from the sticks who stepped into the city with the audacity to tell people actually how to love and not just sing songs and post about it. He ended up being attacked by those that said they loved him the most. He had a knife lodged in his back by one of his closest of friends. He was arrested in a garden while in communion with his God. He was denied a right to a fair trial. He suffered under police brutality, and he was lynched on a hill far away while his friends all fled. But I mean, you just see the story from what it is when you step into this moment today, and we're coming out of Friday, and we're coming out of Saturday. It is what it is. Like, like that's it, right? Jesus is dead. The Messiah's body lies stiff in the morgue. The, the toe tag has been written. The time of death has been marked. It's over. The early reports that are coming out of Rome read that, yes, there was an outside agitator who stepped among us, but he will agitate us no more. The rebellion has been shut down. Rome has risen. Rome has risen indeed. 
So say the early reports out of Rome. But that's trippy because I just heard the Kellers come up here and with like this passion and prose and beautiful tack, they read a different story than the reports that came out of Rome. They told me a story that old Mark first told them that sounds completely different. It's a report, but it's not like the one from Rome. Mark steps into that scene with a different kind of story that doesn't speak about death, but instead speaks about life. Doesn't speak about tombs, but instead speaks about wombs. Doesn't speak about a life coming to its completion, but a life continuing on going forward. Mark reads the same stories that we all read. Mark reads the Roman newspapers that are being read. But in that place in the paper where it talks about how the son of love was laid into the borrowed man's tomb in the middle of the earth, Mark writes in the margins on the side of the type and says it was only borrowed because he'd only need it for a few more days. Easter's child is on his feet once again. The son of love that was sent down by the state is finally back on his feet. In the same way that we pushed out the gift that God put into our arms, the grave bounced him back when we tried to give him to it. The casket coughed him up, leaving us to uh, forever wonder, I guess, like what is up and what is down and what is next and, and what is now. All of our questions that we thought we had answers to, they suddenly become paper thin, a little bit more fragile than we had suspected that they were. In the wake of the one who died and then undied, we're left to wonder if contrary to everything that we've been told about all of our endings, if that has just been a big lie, a big myth, and it's actually come to an end. If so, that's good news. If so, that means that Jesus is not just the divine exception, but he's also the gracious rule. In the life of Jesus, we see our lives, or at least we see what could become of our lives. I think about that a lot. I do. I mean, I have more questions than answers. I'm redundant about that fact. I don't say it to be contrarian. Um, but I do, I do think about how when we look at the life of the son of love, there is something about our story that we are seeing in that particular. There is something universal that we're seeing embedded in this young man's life. And the fact that he went down into the grave and got back up again tells me that we can go down into our graves and we might be able to walk away too. Of course, having said that, that means a couple of different things because on one level, I understand the grounds for celebration. I feel like we're naming it adequately. Maybe you want me to preach in a little bit prettier way. It's not going to happen. I'm doing the best that I can. Just give me grace. But on one level, I understand like why we're going to celebrate this affair, why this event is worthy of singing these songs and standing on our feet and eating peeps and wearing pastels. I get that whole thing. But I also understand what Grace Keller meant when she said that the disciples who came to the tomb, when they were told to speak, instead they stay silent and they go away, not in awe and joy, but they are scared out of their minds. They are paranoid. They're terrified. I understand why that is, because, well, it's one thing to have a stone rolled away, but it's another thing entirely to have to walk out. It's one thing to be stuck inside of a pattern that you can't break out of, but it's another thing to realize that you actually could, that your marriage could get healthier, that an addiction could be quit, that stability could be grasped, that your worth, it actually could be found, that how it is right now isn't how it needs to always be. But if this is true, 
if Easter isn't lying to us tonight, and we're not wasting our time, but we're actually coming here to stare at an empty tomb and listen to what it says to our lives today, if it's actually true, and we want to find that resurrection life that awaits us on Sunday, then we have to first go to Friday. If we want the resurrection, we have to go to the place of the ruins. And I don't, I don't want to go there. Do you guys want to go there? No, you don't. Don't nod your head. You're lying. Nobody wants to go to that place right there. It's not appetizing. It's not pretty. Nobody wants to go there. In fact, that's actually why if you open up your Bibles, I don't know if any of you all brought them with you, open up your phones and you open up to Mark 16, you'll find that while we just closed out that gospel at verse 8, there are actually words beyond that that go all the way to verse 20. Where Mark stopped writing, the church picked up. Church editors in the first and second century in particular, they picked up where Mark left off and they made it a lot more prettier than two disciples running away who were told to speak and instead stay silent, who were told to be joyful and instead are scared. Instead, in the back 11 verses, we have uh, this image that is not very appetizing at all. I mean, this is why, if you were at the church, I, I, I almost promise you, if you went to any other church service today, they would have chosen a different gospel Easter story. This is not the cream of the crop. It's, it doesn't have what the other stories have. It doesn't have what Matthew and Luke and John have. There are no um, earthquakes or angels or you know, disciples trying to see who has the best 40 time or actual encounters with Christ. All you have is a proclamation from a stranger, but you don't even get the presence of a savior. And so I understand when you get to the end of Mark's uh, gospel, why they felt it necessary to tack it on. I understand the uncomfortability of it, but they really went uh, to quite the length there, didn't they? Read the rest of Mark's gospel and you'll come to find out that in verses 9 through 20, they, they end up saying that we, uh, the church, the ones who follow and are committed to practicing the ways of Jesus, they tell us that if we continue on this path, we can actually hold cobras and not be killed. We can actually uh, drink poison and not drown. We can kick out dark spirits at the mention of a name. We can heal cancerous bodies with one light touch. And so by the time we get to verse 20, we are so juiced up about this pep talk that's tacked on at the end of what Mark was talking about that we've completely forgotten about the scared disciples who ran away in silence. And that scares me because that makes me feel like you've forgotten about me. It makes me feel like God has forgotten about me. Because I see myself not in the ambitious back 11 verses, but in the awkward ending of eight. I see myself, I look at my story, I turn around and think about the places I've been and I've touched sick bodies and they were not healed. I've said the name of Jesus in dark places and woke up the next day still haunted. I've drank too much poison and things in me died. I find myself in the story that Mark left us with. And so I understand why we don't like the resurrection story that Mark left us with, but I gotta be honest with you. This year, perhaps more than any other year, I'm grateful for it because it's the reality that we live in. We're here celebrating Easter while living in the midst of a Good Friday world. We sing about an empty tomb feeling like it isn't anywhere near as empty as we are tonight. We, we talk a big game and we look at one another and we talk about, yes, Jesus got back up. But desperately we're wondering like, but could we still get back up? 
Like, could we find a way to correct our course and actually find purpose once more, energy once more, enthusiasm once again? We talk and we sing and we dance and we preach and we read texts about death having died and the sting of death coming to a full stop. But if I'm honest with you, when I go home tonight on the drive back to my place, I will be thinking about what you are thinking about and what I'm talking about right now and wondering if I was good enough for you, wondering if I pleased, what if I performed well, and I'll start to feel the pricks of death all over me once again. Because it's one thing to have a stone rolled away, but it's another thing entirely to walk out. It's one thing to see Jesus' stone roll away, but do you want to see your own stone roll away? Because I think oftentimes I just want mine to stay. I think that many of us like our stones to keep us sealed up because it relieves us of the duty to actually get up, to take our mat and walk, to shift from getting by to getting better, from, to shift from growing old to growing up, to recognize that if death is actually dead, then none of our excuses anymore should still be alive. What do you mean, Matt? Well, if you play it out like Easter didn't happen, I know it did happen, but just play it out like it didn't happen and Jesus didn't get back up from the grave and we didn't know that death was merely just a door. If death, failure, collapse, let it go, the worst place imaginable, the thing that you try to avoid at all costs every day of your lives, if we found out that all of those things actually are the end, then you have every reason to sidestep, suppress, deny, and dismiss the wounds that are leading you to that place. You have no reason to believe that that is a worthy place, uh, a place that is worthy of your time. You, you wouldn't go there. You wouldn't think about it. You wouldn't touch the wound. You would leave it alone, pretend it isn't there, and walk in the opposite direction. All of those wounds that are hijacking your walk, you'd want to push to the side. But if Jesus is the truth, if Easter isn't lying, if Jesus is lifting the veil and revealing that death is just a door and that all of our periods have finally been bent into commas, then the path to, to life runs straight to death. And the only way to begin is to allow ourselves to come to an end, to admit that we are powerless, to confess that we've gone to the edge of our resources again and again and still we have yet to rise. You see, Easter is the punctuation on the gospel mystery. It's the full embodiment of the good news because it tells us that if you really want to stand up, please learn quickly what it looks like to lay down. If you really want to grow up, please follow the Christ and go down. Let go. Recognize your own limitations so that you can find the life beyond them. You see, maybe that's why. I could be wrong. But maybe that's why Mark says at the end of his gospel that you can look for Jesus here in the tomb in Jerusalem uh, where the state tried to lay him once and for all, but he won't be found in that place. He has gone ahead of you to Galilee, which if you remember is the very place where the story first gets started. So Mark, what exactly are you trying to say? Well, if you want to find Jesus, you can come to this particular tomb or you can go back there to that womb. Mark says that he has gone ahead of you by going to the place that is behind you. The place that you least want to be, the face that you least want to see, the problem that you don't want to admit, the consequences that you don't want to face, the healing that you don't know if you can handle, the questions that never come with any answers. Jesus is in all of that which is in all of you. 
What's behind you, says Mark, is actually what's ahead of you. This is the kingdom good news of two steps backwards is actually your one step forward. And so when we read the Markin text and we start to write in our Yelp reviews of it, all caps letters that talk about how Mark, I, I know which, your heart's in the right place, but this is not how stories are supposed to end. He would look at you and say, well, obviously, because this story hasn't ended. It goes on. It's in Galilee. It's so on this Easter Sunday, as we gather here again, after a year that has taken more than it's given, I want us to experience permission to go back to Galilee. I want us all to turn and face our shadows, to take the time to know our pain, how you felt when they walked out, how you felt when their words got in. I mean, I know looking out at this crowd right now, I know that we get dressed up on these high holy days and we look real pretty. You look really pretty. Permission, though, to be ugly, to wipe off the makeup and all of the pretense and just accept the reality that sometimes the way we present ourselves on the outside is not actually how we're feeling on the inside. To admit that we sometimes are scared, we're not sure, that we feel alone, that we spend more time longing for a person who is no longer here, and we even spend more time resenting somebody who still is. That's why we're here. You know, we don't commit our Sundays to worshiping Jesus because on a hill far away, he died and got back up. No, the core of our faith is not that Jesus did a resurrection. The core of our faith is that Jesus does a resurrection. Jesus tells Mary, Jesus tells Lazarus, I am the resurrection. I didn't just do it. I'm doing it. Will you let me do it? The only thing required, the only yes that is acceptable is to recognize that in order for us to get back up, we have to be willing to lay it all down, to say out loud what we've hoped that no one else ever would have to hear. And since you all are so quiet right now, I'll go first. My name is Matt. If I'm honest with you, I am a husband who loves my wife way too inconsistently. I am a parent whose patience with my kid is way too thin. I'm a pastor who talks more about God than I do make space to actually talk to God. I am somebody who wants to be heard, but I struggle to actually take the time to listen. I am a friend who will sidestep calls when it feels like it's inconvenient. And to top it all off, as if all of that didn't make you immediately want to rush and sign up to be a part of this church, I'm also an alcoholic. That's a new thing that I've had to name out loud. In fact, the past seven days was the first time in five years that I've gone 72 hours. That Seven days is more than 72 hours. My mind's view math isn't very good, though. The past seven days, though, is the first time in about five or six years I haven't had a drink. I don't know how I got to that point. But somewhere along the way, I listened to a snake on the ground that told me that I needed to have a drink in order to be successful, and I needed to have a drink to survive when I wasn't. And I believed it. And so this is me, I'm Matt, and I'm going back to Galilee because I'm trusting in the place behind me, in the sight of where it all got ruined. Therein lies the Jesus who is awaiting to do a resurrection. I'm going back to Galilee, and I'm really hoping that there's a people here tonight who are going to go with me. Now, maybe you're not dealing with addiction. Maybe you're not an addict. Maybe you're actually successful, and you really are as good as you look. Maybe that's all true, but 
The point still stands that somewhere in your life, somewhere in your side, there is a thorn, the same kind of thorn that Paul prayed to God to have it removed, but God wouldn't touch because he said Jesus is in that place. God's not going to enable us to run away from the place that Jesus is running to because Jesus has gone ahead of us to Galilee, and he's asking us to join him in that space. If you are willing to join him in that space, will you please stand with me right now? Now, it's going to feel culty here, but just stay with me. I'm going to say, he has risen, and you are going to say, he has risen indeed, and then I'm going to follow up with saying, and we too will rise, and you say, we will rise indeed. Family, I love you. He has risen. We too will rise. Amen. guys can be seated. Um, it's a hard thing to give a good Easter message, isn't it? But Matt, thank you for that from the heart and um, certainly moves us in ways that maybe we weren't thinking about. And I, what I loved about Matt's message is the idea that the Easter story is the whole story. That without the pain and the suffering and the hard stuff, wow, today doesn't mean anything. We need both Good Friday and we need today. We have to be able to look back and to name, and to name and own and, and sit in that pain together. That's the full life. That's when we can embrace the joy and all that God has for us. And one of the wonderful things about being back together today is actually taking part in communion together. Because for about a year, with the exception of a couple gatherings last fall, we've been doing that online, virtually. And I think we'd all say that's not quite been the same. But the beauty is that we can come together. We can remember that God calls us to the full life. That God calls us to name who we are and the things we're struggling with, and that we can do that together. So when we take the bread, we remember, we remember a God who calls us to that kind of life. We re remember a God who says that we look behind, that Jesus has gone ahead. And that's the God we follow. That's the God we celebrate when we take the bread and we dip it into the cup. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant for everybody. And when you drink from the cup, remember me. And that's what we do. In this holy marking moment together, each and every Sunday night, we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we say, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. So now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand as we worship together.